Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill-up. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Pros in the know start with Lowe's, because at Lowe's, pros save on tools they rely on to get the job done. Now get up to 35% off select DeWalt power tools and accessories, including the DeWalt 10-tool 20-volt cordless combo kit, now $529. That's $320 off. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. DeWalt offer valid through 11-4. While supplies last, credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusions apply U.S. only. Hello and welcome into the Bird Gang Blitz, everyone. We are back after a little over a month-long hiatus. I'm back over here, as always, with the Venerable John, Venerable Johnny's Football. Uh, John, how are you doing? I know we've had a little bit of vacation and downtime, at least. So I wanted to check in, see uh, see what how you've been doing. Yes, we're all still nursing our hangover from drafting Josh Rosen because it was that <laughs> epic of a moment. But uh, no, and enjoying the downtime, enjoying uh, what I've seen so far from OTAs, excited for mini camp and of course training camp next month and uh, still waiting for that big Cardinal signing uh, post draft. Uh, and we'll touch on that, but yeah, anxious to see what's, what's ahead for the Cardinals and specifically Steve Kahn. Definitely. No, we've got uh, a bit more off-season news to go through since we've been off for a while. The first thing we'll want to talk about, though, is the biggest news overall at the Cardinals is that David Johnson, after standing uh, to the sideline, not really participating at the end of the OTAs last week, is officially holding out of minicamp. He is looking for a new deal, set to make $1.8 million and wants to make more. John, what's the first reaction to this? Is this something that is kind of expected? We haven't really had an actual holdout for a while from a Cardinals player. Is Johnson right in holding out, or is this an area where the Cardinals have the leverage and he needs to kind of just you know, be showing up and practicing? Yeah, it's strange because you're right. Under Steve Keim, I don't remember a player ever holding out. You, you look back and, and think about the individuals who, I don't want to say were frustrated with their contracts, but you knew had money coming to them one way or the other. Of course, Larry Fitzgerald's had a number of contract extensions. Tony Jefferson a couple of years ago before walking with the Baltimore Ravens. Remember, he didn't get a restricted free agent tender that was going to pay him like a million dollars more and was incredibly, you know, TO'd about that. Uh, and then most recently Calais Campbell left for, for greener pastures. Uh, he played on the franchise tag once or twice uh, and then left for Jacksonville and got big time money. So none of those individuals, uh, and those are players that are playing premium positions. It's specifically Campbell defensive end. None of those players held out. They all played. They all played really well. Tony Jefferson and Clayus Campbell most recently had great seasons before walking. Uh, David's situation is very interesting because not necessarily because of the position he plays. We've seen it before. Most recently with Le'Veon Bell, I think Dallas could be heading toward the same thing with Ezekiel Elliott, but because he missed all of last season, he didn't play at all. He uh, had the injury to his forearm that kept him out. Um, almost the entire season outside of, you know, the first half in Detroit. But he still worked out. He was still with the team. Supposedly, he looks like their best player, 
period, in these OTAs. He's put on muscle. His lower body is tremendous. Uh, he's had an opportunity to, to work out consistently. It's not like he you know, had a lower body injury and, and tore his ACL, tore his hamstring. So he's been in the fold. But at the same time, he knows the longevity of the running back in this league outside of, you know, your Shady McCoys of the world, Frank Gores, guys who were playing into their 30s, is not very long. And the Cardinals' expectation, at least when Bruce Arians was here, was he was going to be the bell cow of their offense. You know, he was going to get 30-plus touches a game. He led the league in yards per scrimmage. Had that phenomenal MVP-type season in 2016. So he figures, okay, you're going to wear me down. I want to get paid, and this is probably my big contract opportunity. Uh, For what it's worth, and Blake, we've talked about this off the year, I think it gets done. I don't think it becomes a distraction. I think it gives other guys in the short term, specifically TJ Logan and Chase Edmonds, an opportunity to get some reps in Mike McCoy's offense. But, you know, I I can't see this. And even Adam Schefter and uh, Ian Rappaport alluded to this. I, I don't see this lingering into the season or even, you know, well into training camp. I think they get this settled and you made a, a great point, Blake, that you can elaborate on. You got to get it done now because you don't want, you know, Le'Veon or potentially Zeke setting the market and pricing yourself out. You get David's done now, and then you figure both of those guys' contracts uh, exceed David's when they're executed. Uh, and then last but not least, the Cardinals have a ton of cap space, especially heading into next season. They're going to have 70-plus million in cap space. You're going to have a plethora of uh, money coming off the books, specifically Mike Ayupati, Sam Bradford, we assume. So they've got the cash to do this. They've got, you know, the, the resources. You take care of David Johnson. He's one of your own. Steve Kimes, you know, arguably his best draft pick. So I'm not concerned. But it is, you know, a little bit, I don't want to say alarming, but odd because it's just, it's never happened with Steve Kime and the Cardinals. Yeah, totally agree. That's part of the reason why it seems odd is because either players would leave or even in the case of um, occasional like times where you'd have questions about if a player would hold out or not. Tyron Massey was the last time we had this situation. Steve Kime has almost always, without fail, rewarded the player the year before their contract has been up. So that's what's most curious about this is why did David Johnson kind of feel the need to hold out? Was it maybe an agent pressing him to do it just to send a message? Because as we can see, he uh, there was even, I believe it was Joel Corey sent out a tweet today that the, the Cardinals have extra leverage on David Johnson because if he decides to hold out past a certain date, uh, he would be eligible for only three years of service, not four. So what that means is that he would be able to go into next year with a uh, – uh, he wouldn't be an unrestricted free agent. He would be able to get an RFA tender for that one. So basically, he would be restricted. The Cardinals would be able to restrict his rights and basically treat him the same way they treated Tony Jefferson. And that's not what he wants. So this is with August 7th. There's 30 days before the NFL's first regular season. So there's not going to be any type of Le'Veon Bell-style holdout where it's you know September 1st and he's finally rejoining the team. There's not going to be one of those types of situations. So right now, when you're looking at the landscape of the NFL, Johnson does have one thing against him, and that's his age. He was drafted coming into the league a little bit older as a running back. And right now he's 26 years old. He'll be 26 throughout the majority of the year. But you look at the other top backs in the NFL. You've got Ezekiel Elliott, 22 years old. Alvin Kamara just drafted at 22 years old. Even Todd Gurley drafted the same year as David Johnson is 23. And he'll be 24 when the season starts. But Johnson's really approaching 30 a little bit more rapidly than some of those other players. And he's missed an entire year last year. 
Um, I've seen some comments I know that fans have had who are either usually of other teams who are wondering if Johnson missed all of last season, he's holding out. It doesn't seem like it's the right move, but it's kind of discounting his first two seasons, which were absolutely incredible. This this guy, of course, set the Cardinals rookie record for touchdowns. And before the 2016 injury against the Rams, he had averaged 100 yards or more per scrimmage. He's only you know first player to ever do that in the first 15 games. And would have gotten 2,000, 1,000 for rushing and receiving. So this is a guy who basically is your offense. The offense runs through him. And he missed last year with probably the most – it's not like to say it wasn't a serious injury. It's still a broken wrist. But as much as it can take to be a 15 games that you've missed without actually reducing your impact for next year, it wasn't like, as you said, an ACL tear. It wasn't like you had a strain or repetitive injuries that would cause a lot of wear and tear. So the biggest thing against Johnson is age, and I'm thinking that's probably the reason why he would have held out. Um, if the Cardinals had decided that they want to see him play through maybe week eight or so, I know Carson Palmer in 2014 – they gave him that extension about midway through the season. There's other guys like Justin Bethel. If he feels like he's going to be treated that way and they're a ways apart off on their deal, I think that would be more concerning. For me, I think you just take a look at the fact that Steve Wilkes is saying he believes it's going to get done. The Cardinals seem to be in the perfect line to be able to get the deal taken care of. And it doesn't seem like it's going to be a huge hit to their cap space this year, too. Um, Devonta Freeman is probably the best example you can take a look at of a contract. Uh, 26-year-old guy. He ended up signing for, I believe it was about $8.4 million a year. Johnson's probably going to get about nine point two, and I'm thinking it's probably going to end up being maybe closer to a four-year deal. If Johnson can hit the free agent market again at age 30, he may be able to get one last big deal if he's shown himself to be durable, but it might be he doesn't have as much of an audience. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Maybe it ends up being the difference between four to five years with Arizona, and maybe that's what they're going over right now. But uh, yeah, so it, it's notable. Um, what's interesting to me, at least this I think will be something good to touch on, is seeing if it will turn into kind of the green light of, okay, this is all good to go, the yellow light of adding some caution. If it continues into training camp through training camp there's not a deal done that's probably where you start looking at the red light as far as for if this guy is going to be um you know coming into the season wanting to have that long-term security uh, the good news is, is that he's holding out in part because he wants to be here he wants to play in arizona this isn't a case where david johnson's coming in playing his last season with arizona and then hitting free agency he wants to have that long-term security and stay here that's something that we i know you and i have talked about this john that the cardinals have really done a, such a huge 180 now that players are wanting to be here so now the question comes to the other guys yeah you've got marcus golden coming in his last year of his deal off of an acl you've got your um you know, Dale Buchanan, who he's playing in his fifth year contract extension. And the only reason David, of course, is having this entire thing is because he was a third round pick. You got awesome value out of him. You don't have that first round um, tender you're able to put on like you will for Buchanan, for a Josh Allen, even a Kandichi Humphreys if we get to that point. Um, but that's what I wanted to bring up to you, John, is looking into the Cardinals with their future. You got Dale Buchanan's in the last year of his deal. Marcus Golden also, he's coming off the ACL. Are the Cardinals making the right choice if they do decide to pay David Johnson? Are we going to see some of these players who are pretty valuable to their team walk? Are there other extensions that we should be seeing throughout this time before training camp? You know, I thought before, even before David's discussions were to ramp up, I thought the Cardinals would have extended Dayon Buchanan by now. Uh, you could make an argument he has been the only first-round pick from Steve Kime that has made any kind of impact uh, you can make that argument pretty pretty easily. 
Uh, he's been incredibly consistent. He had a tremendous 2015-2016 run. Last year, pretty good, missed four games. But with the transition into a new defense with a new head coach that specializes in back seven players like Dayon, um, I could see them taking a wait-and-see approach with him. But again, you've got Hassan Reddick on a rookie deal. You've got some other pieces at the linebacker position that are not making a great amount of money. That's not a position where you've invested a lot. Um, I think you could throw some money at Dayon, hopefully keep him around. You know, unlike David, he's only 25 years old. Uh, and so you've got an opportunity to lock him up for the prime years of his career. And I'm, I've always been impressed with his game when he's healthy. Uh, and I think he'll benefit from a four, three switch more than any other player that we don't talk about. Again, he had nothing to sneeze at last year, 82 tackles, a sack and an interception in 12 games over the course of 16. That that's over a hundred tackles and, and many more plays made. Um, and so I think he's kind of the forgotten man. Um, Marcus Golden, of course, had the tremendous 2016 season, led the team in sacks, looked like the superior pass rusher over even Chandler Jones and was on the fast track for NFL stardom. Then, of course, you know, got off to a slow start last year towards ACL. Uh, I don't know if that was I'd hate to speculate if that was conditioning, that kind of thing. He just he just didn't look right when he played last year. Uh, and so he had an opportunity to, you know, get his body right. He's going to come back from all accounts. He's going to be full strength when the, when the season begins. And he's got an opportunity to make some money for himself. I think that's a scenario, Blake. And, you know, correct me if, if you think otherwise, that because of what the Cardinals are paying Chandler Jones, uh, I think Marcus Golden could be the prime option for the franchise tag, especially coming off an injury. Uh, we could see him having something like, you know, Ziggy Anse had last year with the Lions. Got production had double digit sacks, but weren't quite sure if they wanted to invest long-term. So they slapped him with the franchise tag. And I know that they're looking for other options uh, opposite him. The Cardinals are fortunate to have Chandler Jones, the NFL's leading sack uh, master from a year ago. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of unique in which not many teams can pay both of their premium ed- edge rushers, both of their double digit sack artists. But again, we'll get into this later. If you're paying Josh Rosen next to nothing and you've got minimal investments elsewhere, that might be a scenario in which the Cardinals and Steve Kime can splurge other than those two players. And then of course, David Johnson, I don't think there's anybody else really. I, I could see having an extension other than maybe Larry Fitzgerald could have a one or two year extension, continuing his playing career in the desert based on what we see out of Rosen. But, you know, you turn to the offensive side of the ball and outside of David and Larry, it's pretty slim pickings. Um, DJ Humphreys, by all accounts, has had a very nice spring. But again, he's got to make his money when the season starts, when the pads go on. I like what I've seen from him uh, from a leadership standpoint. He's been very outspoken. He's front and center all over the Cardinal website. You, w- you would think with the attention he gets and the presence he carries that he was a you know first team all pro already. This is a guy who's yet to complete a season, yet to stay healthy. When he stayed healthy, he's been good, but he hasn't he hasn't been great. He hasn't shown greatness yet, but he's the baby of the group. He's he's uh, I believe 23, 24 years old, was the number one offensive player coming out of high school. Not offensive tackle, but offensive player. University of Florida, he was exceptional, but he never played in a three-point stance, was only in a two-point stance. And so they had to kind of, Bruce Arians and and his staff kind of had to strip, you know, his attributes, his technique and start from scratch. And so he's had a slow start combined with the injuries. So the rest of the offensive line, um, you know, has been a series of journeymen, some free agent signings. They haven't been able to ever develop that marquee player uh, up front. You know, Ricky Seals-Jones, 
is an undrafted tight end that they're putting a lot of, you know, stake into. We haven't seen them make an addition there. So yeah, I, I think outside of David, they own and, um, Marcus Golden, I, I just don't see anybody else getting a, a big-time extension anytime soon. Yeah, and DJ Humphreys, it's kind of crazy to think about, but he ended up getting his fifth-round tender for uh, as a first-round pick where they you know they signed him. He'll be extended. He's here this season and next season, uh, basically guaranteed at this point. And Teddy Bridgewater did not, <laughs> which is like kind of crazy to think about when you look at the importance of quarterback and some of those rookie deals. Some of it shows the risk, but it also shows the faith and the trust that the Cardinals do have in DJ Humphreys. Uh, the hope is that he'll be able to kind of restore that. But you're right, he's only 24 years old. This is his fourth year in the league. So some of that ability of just drafting these young players, when you look at the difference between DJ Humphreys, who's going to be having, you know, he's gotten already his kind of big deal that he's had for the end of that fifth year round option. And then he'll be getting his entire huge paycheck probably at some point if he has a solid season, either next year or the year after. And he can play in the league a long time, whereas a running back like David Johnson, this may be kind of his biggest bet of being able to get his big payday. So in that sense, the holdout does make a lot of sense to see. I agree with Marcus Golden. We've even talked, I know, about how the Cardinals were in a position potentially where if they weren't able to land a quarterback, being able to bring in a outside linebacker or a pass rusher or a defensive end, since Steve Wilkes is going to be moving to that 4-3, being able to see how Golden will hold up in this new defense. The Cardinals have a lot of leverage where they can use the franchise franchise tag if he does go off and have a huge season playing at defensive end if he doesn't make a good turnaround from the rest of you know the transition from his ACL maybe you do end up seeing him walk Dayon Buchanan's the guy who I think would be potentially if you do see another extension I would be totally on the same page with you even though the pass rusher might be a bit more important considering the fact that we have a guy who might be a perfect spot for that roaming linebacker position in Buchanan um, who you already know will be able to be a guy who can play all three downs. It'll be really interesting looking at their draft needs for next year because I think that's where you go into the the next offseason and say, okay, is it going to be another Mike linebacker that they're going to look at instead of Josh Bynes? Are we going to be looking at you know any other defensive linemen? Um, or if you know the offensive line goes out, has another injury-ravaged year, DJ Humphreys can't stay healthy, uh, that's going to be maybe where you start looking at what's going to be kind of the biggest need heading into next year. One of what one of those needs might not be, or is might be a little different from what we had looked at coming in the season, is wide receiver. There's already rumors that have been going around, and no comments obviously from Larry Fitzgerald, but there is some kind of budding thought that he may not just be here for 2018, but he might be here for 2019, potentially even 2020 as well. Uh, John, let's talk about this. Is this all due to Josh Rosen's? impressing in camp so far we'll get into more of course the Rosen talk but is this kind of a case where Larry Fitzgerald might be coming back for more than just setting a few records is it possible that he could see the team having a shot to get back into the playoffs making another run and him being able to continue his level of play yes and I'll, I'll break it down based on percentages what I think I think it's 25 percent cementing his legacy um, as the number two receiver of all time behind Jerry Rice. And then I would combine that with financially just, you know, Larry likes money. Obviously he's had one of the most savvy financial careers in NFL history, uh, has renegotiated his, you know, many times has, has many outside businesses and ventures. I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to own a share of an NFL franchise at some point, but then the other 75%, I would put solely on Josh Rosen, what he's seen so far in training camp. You know, Larry's been around a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of bad 
quarterbacks in his time in Arizona, but he's been around two pretty good ones in Carson Palmer and Kurt Warner. You know, I, I think Larry understands by the time we drafted the Cardinals drafted Josh Rosen, what he's seen from OTAs. He knows this kid's going to be the real deal health permitting. There's no reason to think Larry can't continue to play at this level because of the fact that he can catch so many balls out of the slot. He kind of plays right now that hybrid wide receiver tight end role. His hands are still exceptional. Uh, I think he's looking at this opportunity of saying, why not take this year to year? Because I've got a young player in Josh Rosen that I think could be pretty good. And I know Steve Kime with Josh Rosen again on that rookie deal is going to surround this team with many, many you know, great free agent signings, expensive free agent signings to get this team where it needs to be a la the LA Rams and what they're trying to put together. You know, I've, I've seen people hype up this division. And again, it's, it's good on paper, but it's not comparable to the division in 2013 when you had Super Bowl heavyweight contenders in Seattle and San Francisco. Those two teams were leaps and bounds better than everybody else. The Rams were always hovering around 500. You've got the Cardinals who are a wild card, uh, and not, you know, potentially a wild card team, but just a wild card in general. We don't know what to expect from Wilkes and potentially Rosen starting. Seattle's clearly rebuilding. Uh, you forget the San Francisco 49ers were complete dumpster fire before they rattled off five straight with Jimmy G. That roster is not good. They've got an opportunity to probably, I don't want to say take a step back, but would anybody be surprised if they won six, seven, eight games? You know, that's not, you know, a ridiculous claim. And then of course you've got the class of the division and the Rams, but again, they're going to go year to year and they're going to have to pay their rookie quarterback, uh, Jared Goff or their rookie deal quarterback, Jared Goff at some point, they're going to have to cut a lot of these free agent loose, uh, additions loose like Sue and a keep to leave some of these guys Marcus Peters has got to get paid um you know Gurley's got to get paid at some point um so Cooks has got to get paid so it's it's year to year in the NFC West I think Larry Fitzgerald knows that and if Josh Rosen comes out and balls like we all think he's going to do and Larry's productive uh and they've got a window that that reopens suddenly and he likes what he sees from Steve Wilkes there's no reason why he can't one last time uh, with, you know, his, I believe this will be his fourth head coach, chase a championship. And I think that he looks at Josh Rosen as his meal ticket. Yeah, I know the Cardinals are an interesting spot because Fitzgerald is kind of year to year. Like he made, you know, he came back for $11 million and obviously for the part to be able to set history. But what's interesting is what you're saying is totally true. He's probably in the best quarterback position that he's been in in a long time, uh, at least since Kurt Warner. But even with Kurt, Kurt was still year to year at that point. And we even remember after that 2000 and I believe it was after the 2008 season, uh, Kurt even went and flirted with the Niners just because he was a free agent. Cardinals weren't seeming to be willing to even pony up for that. And that was, you know, the different era, different organization. A lot of it was also the fact that they had Matt Landert on the bench. And we all know how that turned out. But he's in a spot where he's not just looking at Carson Palmer as an old aging quarterback, then having guys like Drew Stanton, Blaine Gabbert, and no one else young behind him. He's looking at having at least a solid starter in Bradford who does his most amount of damage out of the slot. Uh, he's also then looking at a guy with like Glennon who can at least come in and start. It's not like you're going to be looking at, you know, Blaine Gabbert having to take over and just struggling in the red zone, barely able to put up more than 12 points in some of the later games. Uh, you're then able to kind of see that you've got a really good situation in the spot here and you've got an offensive coordinator 
Mike McCoy, who's committing to not moving you back outside, you know, unless it's, you know, needed, but he seems to be playing the majority of the snaps in the slot, playing that same role where he was so successful under Bruce Arians. I think that's been part of why Fitzgerald is kind of having some of these rumors come up. So uh, if the Cardinals can go into next year, um, not having to be forced to have to look into bringing in a replacement for Larry Fitzgerald, the flexibility opens up so much because they'll have plenty of cap space to be able to bring him back. Speaking of the Niners, it's going to be really interesting just to see how that team turns out, as you say, because um, we've got in the NFC West, this is kind of getting a little bit into uh, previewing some of the NFC West news. Each of the three teams has a player holding out. David Johnson, who's a probably a top three running back in the NFL. Aaron Donald, number one defensive lineman in the NFL. And then Earl Thomas, who's probably, uh, I would say, easily the best safety in the NFL. All three of them are holding out for a new type of deal. The Cardinals are in a position, probably more than any other, to be able to pay those players because the Rams after signing Sue and some of these other guys are probably going to have to pony up for him, but it's going to be expensive. It's going to end up being very quickly limiting them. Whereas the Cardinals with David Johnson don't exactly have, (laughs) they're not going to have to worry about paying, you know, 20 million a year to David Johnson. It's going to be probably about nine or 10 million for a valuable running back, but that's, what's really interesting getting into that. Uh, Let's talk a little bit just about with getting into some more with Josh Rosen, because he's been super impressive to the point where, people are looking at this as a legit quarterback competition. So that's the question I'll give to you, John. And I think I know exactly what you're going to say. And I know what I'll have, at least they'll probably be going the opposite approach, but do you believe that Josh Rosen is the Cardinals week one starter at quarterback? I do Blake. And I've said this for the past two or three weeks. I think he's going to start week one. I think they're going to roll the dice with him. I think that Sam Bradford right now is kind of an, an enigma. Um, I heard Steve Kime make a couple comments on radio uh, the other day claiming that Bradford has looked good when he's practiced. He reminds them of why he was the number one overall pick. That's when he's practiced. He's been on a special program this spring based on the fact that he's still rehabbing from an injury, an unknown injury that is not really clear to those in the media. Uh, we have not gotten a definitive update on what his knee looks like, what percentage of health on his knee. Remember when he signed, he was incredibly vague about the status of his knee. He said he felt good, but that he didn't say, I'll be ready week one, I'll be ready for the preseason, so on and so forth. Um, And right now, I don't think fans particularly care if he's ready or not because they want to see Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen started as a true freshman at UCLA. He's the only true freshman to ever start quarterback. Carried a bad program for the likes of three years. Got his ass beat by a terrible offensive line, was not protected at all, was on a, a team that was headed by a defensive head coach, uh, did not have you know a slew of four or five-star players around him like Sam Darnold. So you think about, is there anybody more prepared than Josh Rosen to come in and play right away? And that was his MO coming out. It's like Josh Rosen may have character concerns, durability concerns, but you know he's probably the most polished guy to play week one. Um, and so all that combined with the fact that He has not just looked good in OTAs. By all accounts, he has been the best quarterback during OTAs by a mile and has looked like a 10-year NFL vet. And so you've got that momentum going. Why why stop it for a stopgap in Sam Bradford to play, you know, two, three, four weeks? Again, it's going to be production-based, but I think we're going to go into this this training camp and this preseason with both of these quarterbacks – vying for this starting job. And I, I'd be surprised if Steve Wilkes didn't declare an open competition. Uh, he's come out and said the best 11 are going to play. Sam's the starter right now. But who's to say Sam plays week one of the preseason? 
looks okay. Josh comes in, tears up the second string. Guess what? Preseason week two, I bet Josh Rosen starting that game, and so on and so forth as we move through the you know the three the three preseason games that matter. So um, it's just drip, drip, drip out of the faucet. You hear more and more information come out that leads you to believe, hey, this this kid's got an opportunity to play right away, and. Why aren't we talking about this more? Uh, from a national perspective, all I hear are analysts claiming that he has been phenomenal. They are super impressed. He is taking in all the information, lightning speed. Remember, Sam Bradford, number one, is new to the team as well. So it's not like he's Carson Palmer and he has this reputation with the franchise. And number two, he's learning Mike McCoy's offense for the first time. Uh, you know, he's been in the NFL. He's seen a lot more. But at the same, the Cardinals don't owe Sam Bradford anything other than a large salary for this year. They're not, you know, tempted to play him based on the fact that, you know, he was with Mike McCoy last year. They have a rapport, so on and so forth. They can get to Josh Rosen as quickly as they want to. My only concern about him potentially not starting is the state of the offensive line and whether or not they want to play him in the early games against, let's say, the L.A. Rams at L.A. in week two. Is that a game you want to subject him to? But if you think he's ready, if he's ready to be the starter, you just have to roll the dice. And we've heard Steve Wilkes say that the best unit on offense that they have is the offensive line. So I don't know if he's trying to talk those guys up. I don't know. Steve Kime may have another addition in his back pocket, you know, come, you know, training camp. But I'll say it again. I've been saying it all, all off season. I'll say it through the summer. I think he's going to, I think he's going to outplay Sam Bradford in the preseason. You know, I don't want to root for injuries, but I think there's a good chance he could be injured. I think it's 50, 50. He could be ready for week one. I, I think that there, there's no point in waiting, especially when you want to go into 28 or 2019 with an opportunity to compete for a championship. You want to make sure uh, that he has enough reps and you know what you're getting come next year. Yeah, and I, I think that's part of where if it's close between the two of them as far as the actual competition, then you'd go with Rosen because you know that he'd be the guy you'd grow with over time. The only reason why I think that they would have Bradford is because I do think coming back to, you know, you could, you could change Bradford's name on the back of the jersey to if healthy. I think that Bradford, at least at this point, because of the accuracy when we've seen him play, he would probably be enough ahead that you would say, all right, well, we'll have it be the veteran who would go out for the start. And for some of that might be the same reason you'd just given. He's going to be taking possibly a beating the first two games, but I think it's going to come down ultimately to how they'll play in the preseason, the training camp, and especially to Sam Bradford with where he's at with his injuries. Because you just take a look at his last year, he ended up having an arthroscopic knee surgery, which they called a cleanup with having to get out rid of some cartilage, a bone spur, the biggest thing is, is with having multiple tears on that knee is, is he have enough as far as for, you know, padding left. We know that Drew Stanton reportedly at one point uh, last year was playing without an ACL on one of his, le- his knees. And some said that was a bit overkill, but it just is when you've got this kind of chronic injury that you have with Bradford and in some cases you look at him, he's moving fine. You can see some of the exercising, but it's more about the overall wear and tear of being able to plant, to be able to push off of that versus just your simple walking and running. It's going to be interesting because the entirety, I think of the reason why you got Sam Bradford was to, maybe not stave off a rookie quarterback, but to try to give yourself at least a guy who is a better chance than maybe a Josh McCown or even rolling with Mike Lennon as the starter. I think that Rosen will really 
prove himself when it comes to it in the game, similar to Russell Wilson in 2012, where you're brought in with Matt Flynn to be a guy to compete with the starting up. Javaris Jackson's the guy you prefer as a backup. He'd started the year previously, kind of like that Drew Stanton of a known commodity, not exactly a starting quarterback. So I think that the biggest difference between Arizona's situation and Seattle's is Arizona's got a little bit better quality of quarterbacks. It's pretty easy for Russell Wilson to stand out um against those quarterbacks and otas but again like you said the preparation is key rosen's not really had any type of struggles with the offense there's nothing that's been there he said the biggest issue for him is not the speed of the game not any of the terminology or the language it's been more of the scheme as far as for seeing things in the nfl where you know guys are kind of baiting and switching a little bit more in college where maybe you could catch a guy off guard up the seam with an R- with a, a, an rpo run pass option whereas in the nfl rosen even said today that you'd have guys who would be blitzing like they're showing that they're going to have an all-out blitz and suddenly they bail and there's eight back there and so for him it's just the oh this is a little bit different from expected but he already knows where to go to with the ball he already knows what's going to be the next action so for him it's more of just once you kind of and they, they talk about this from year to year once you kind of see it all as a quarterback and you give have uh, been kind of exposed to everything that's under the sun. You're not able to get baited into some of those changes anymore. That's kind of where you see guys in that 30-year-old start to kind of really grow and develop. He's kind of already at that stage where a lot of guys at 24, 25 might be coming in. Um, he still has a long way to go. There's still, you know, there's times you'll see interceptions in practice or sometimes it'll be the two-minute drill. Uh, this is just the case of, you know, it's a fire hydrant of information coming in. The fact that he's been able to handle it while you have other reports that we're going to get into in a second for uh, you know, other quarterbacks, uh, talking about the Josh Allens, the Baker Mayfields, some of these guys are a little bit further behind in their development. Rosen was the most pro-ready guy potentially since Andrew Luck, uh, maybe even if you want to throw Carson Wentz in there. He did play at a much higher uh, level of competition overall. But this is, a, this is a case where the Cardinals kind of maybe have lucked into a guy who maybe you could argue should have been maybe for most normal standards, the number one overall pick in terms of just being able to see, here's what we know is going to be what we get. Uh, what we get out of the player is so expected that we don't have to have the same type of worries we'll have with other players. With Baker Mayfield, we want to make sure he's taking enough snaps under center with Lamar Jackson. We want to make sure that we're working on the accuracy and with some of the delivery so that he can at least know what the reads with a Josh Allen. We want to make sure that he can know where he's seeing on the field with his decisions. Rosen is very, much kind of a, almost like a plug and play to where the point of that I can see Rosen starting easily week three if Sam Bradford's going to go out there for week one I think that that could be very similar to last year the, the Cardinals are trying to get him ready for week one I could see it potentially being where he plays minimal snaps in the preseason ends up still starting week one just to kind of either give Rosen that time or to kind of see just what they have in Bradford if they end up you know going through Bradford for two weeks at least he plays well enough seems to be healthy enough and Rosen's able to take over in week three if a team loses their starting quarterback maybe you could kind of see if you could finagle a pick similar to the Philadelphia Eagles did when they saw that or maybe you're right and maybe this is the Carson Wentz situation where the Cardinals see what they have in Rosen they know that he's good to go from the starting at week one they don't have to worry about Sam Bradford they can try to get whatever they can out of him I don't know if they're they're not going to be able to get a first round pick obviously after the wear and tear but Uh, This might be where you can see the Cardinals embracing the future where the future isn't, you know, week three, the future isn't week eight. uh, The future isn't, you know, the last five games of the future might really be now for the Arizona Arizona Cardinals. All right. uh, We'll be right back here after a quick break here on the bird game blitz. Uh, We'll go over uh, the wide receiver position. There's a couple of guys fighting for that. Some of the other news from OTAs and take a look around the NFL. There's a few things that are of particular interest, especially the NFC West. And on that note, what in the world are the Seattle Seahawks doing, it seems? That's all right after this on the Bird Gang Blitz. 
Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill-up. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Welcome back into the Bird Gang Blitz. Uh, Johnny, let's go ahead and talk a little bit. We've gone a little bit over Rosen. We'll continue to kind of talk some about that through the show, just as the Cardinals. I mean, we have a franchise quarterback to be excited about, but let's talk a little bit about the wide receiver position, specifically Christian Kirk, because the number two position is wide open at this point. Kirk recently did have his charges. We kind of, you know, suspected it could be his charges that came out after the draft were dropped. Do you have any concerns since we didn't really get a chance to talk about those with those charges now that we've seen that have been dropped? And is Kirk going to be that number two wide receiver or is a Bryce Butler or J.J. Nelson or even a Chad Williams a guy who could step up? Is this going to be or is this the Christian Kirk show that we're looking at? I think they drafted Christian Kirk um, with the idea that he's going to be a, a 1A, 1B kind of receiver with Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, you, you draft a player in the top 50, you think he's going to be a quality, quality player for you that has a chance to make a Pro Bowl at some point. Um, I think that he may not be, you know, a thousand yard receiver, game breaker year one. I think he's going to contribute, whether that's, you know, in the screen game, whether that's in special teams. Uh, he's got uh, a little bit of an uphill climb because he's going against. Uh, a couple savvy veterans in front of him. Bryce Butler, when healthy in Dallas, performed pretty well. And I know a lot of Dallas fans are kind of scratching their head as to why they didn't keep him, especially with the state uh, of their receiving core right now with the with the lack of Des Bryant. Terrence Williams has question marks after his arrest. So I, I'm sure they'd love to have Bryce Butler back. Uh, and then, you know, I've, I've always been a J.J. Nelson fan. I thought he was going to take a big step forward last year for whatever reason it, it didn't transpire. 2016, he was, you know, outside of Larry Fitzgerald, their best receiver at the end of the year, had a monster game at Seattle, over 150 yards. Uh, he and Carson Palmer had a great rapport. He's still got legitimate 4-3 speed in this league, and I, that's something you just can't teach, and I think it's valuable. Uh, and some of the other guys on the roster, I think, have an opportunity to shine, but those those two, and then potentially Chad Williams, you don't know what you have in him. He came into the camp last year out of shape, unacceptable, but again, year two, it's a wake-up call. So you've got a lot of wild cards at that position that, that I'm excited to see, and frankly, you know, this is how your receiving core should be built. I'm not a big proponent of taking receivers not necessarily in the first round, but but fairly high. And I know the Cardinals got Larry Fitzgerald third overall, but unless they are a transcendent type pre-draft, and, and you know that by all accounts, Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, Larry Fitzgerald, A.J. Green. Oh, yeah. um, I, I'm just not a big proponent in drafting receivers high. There was a uh, stat that came out, you know, over the course of the last five years, receivers drafted period but really in the first one or two rounds just have not been productive at all. You look at the the most productive receiver last year, Juju Schuster to the Pittsburgh Steelers. He went, I believe late uh, in the second round. So again, a lot of that's tied to your quarterback, but at the same time, I like that they've kind of flooded the position with guys that can contribute, maybe can give you five, six, 700 yards, but not necessarily are going to be that breakout 1300 yard receiver. Uh, Christian, again, my pro comp to him, 
is Golden Tate. Same uh, measurables, similar measurables, same attributes, both 5'11", around the same, you know, weight. Had that opportunity coming out to return kicks early on in their career and then transition to an outside receiver. Uh, Both have breakaway speed when they need it can be possession receivers if you ask for it, uh, kind of have a, have a stocky build. You know, Christian's got big arms, his, his lower body's it, you know, in great shape. He's somebody who can break tackles if needed. Uh, and the fact that he's a, a local product is just icing on the cake, his relationship with Larry Fitzgerald. So you've got kind of the perfect storm right now of young guys and then a veteran like Larry uh, to all grow together with Josh Rosen. And I'm excited to see that transpire. And then I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't include – you know, Ricky Seals Jones in that conversation as well. He is so impressive in the in the short time that we saw him last year. Uh, specifically, once Blaine Gabbert got to start, uh, he was a rookie a year ago. Is only twenty three and had uh, basically two hundred yards and three touchdowns in the span of like three games uh, when they featured him in the offense. Uh, just a complete mismatch at six five two twenty five could be the next gem Steve Kime finds via undrafted guys uh, like a Tony Jefferson. And as long as I've been following the team, Blake, a lot, you know, I was not alive in the seventies and the early eighties. I didn't see Jackie Smith play. This team has been sorely missing the threat of a tight end. And that's back when the league didn't use the tight, utilize the tight ends. Now, now everybody's really got a tight end uh, except for the Arizona Cardinals. They've been looking for some time. Troy Nicholas, Obviously did not work out. Uh, there has been a slew of other players that they've invested high premium picks on that uh, for whatever reason have not you know, worked out. Part of that, I think, has been the quarterback play. But Ricky Seals-Jones, to me, has an opportunity to put up big-time numbers in this Mike McCoy offense, in this you know, re, um, excuse me, play-action, three-to-five-step drop option where you, you, you see him coming open in the middle. I, I think he could have 700 yards this year. I, I, I know that that might seem egregious to some people who – uh, would say, well, he was undrafted last year. He's going to be learning a new offense. I, I've, what I've been seeing is he's been a mismatch already in OTAs for, for some people. Health permitting, I think he could be the number two receiver on this team behind Larry Fitzgerald, at least until Christian Kirk catches up. But I, I'm excited about this core. I like the unknown factor uh, as well. You know, this team was tremendous at the receiver position in 2015, and then it's all kind of fallen apart. I think this is the year in 2018 where we kind of see that unit uh, start to flourish and build back up. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention David Johnson, who is really um, the true number two receiver uh, when healthy and could have a 1,000 yards rushing and receiving. Um, I don't want to say eat pretty easily, but certainly obtainable for a player like him. So I think they've got nice options all around. And the great thing about Josh Rosen, he, he can spread the ball anywhere. He, he is efficient in that short to intermediate passing game. I think that was his best strength coming out. His accuracy is phenomenal. So I could see a lot of these guys having catches and, and it'd be a fun offense to be a part of. Yeah, no, the biggest thing is it all depends on those young players because, you know, when you compare with Golden Tate, this is a guy who, you know, last couple of, uh, I believe it's the last four out of the uh, three of the last four years in a row, he's had over uh, 1,000 yards receiving that 2014 year with Stafford with 99 catches, 13, 31 yards. That's basically what you kind of would wonder about Christian Kirk because he's also got that special teams ability as well. And so that's one of the biggest things is with these new kickoff rules, how is that going to turn out? Are we going to end up seeing a lot? We should be seeing a lot more longer kickoff returns because it's going to be more like a punt return versus guys having to kind of down at the, uh, you know, 
it just took away one of the most exciting plays in football. And the Cardinals with Amos Jones had terrible special teams. Steve Wilkes seems to be making it a huge emphasis. And I think that's one of the biggest areas of finding different ways to use Christian Kirk will be helpful. And you're mentioning Ricky Seals Jones, and he's a guy that I know we, we've talked a bit about him on the podcast, but this might be your breakout player for next year because of Mike McCoy's offense. You look back with not just the Peyton Manning years, but just the previous um, years of the Antonio Gates and Hunter Henry, even when he was the head coach and kind of in charge of a lot of the offense in San Diego. Uh, Henry, I believe, came in when Wizen Hunt was the OC, but a lot of what Sam Bradford does even is make plays the tight end. And that was one of Josh Rosen's biggest strength too, is that intermediate passing zone. Uh, now Rosen, what's interesting when looking at some of the stats from last year, where it came to the drop rate, as far as for looking at deep play action passes, when you factored in the drops that came in, the guy who was the highest in deep play action passes was Baker Mayfield. Not too much of a surprise there. Had a cannon for an arm and some of the best deep threats in football. Hollywood Brown is going to be a really good pick next year for them. But Josh Rosen closed the gap very, very quickly. So you're looking at Josh Rosen when it's talking about truly a drop. I think of the deep game as far as for whether that's freeing up Christian Kirk, even J.J. Nelson, that might be the most underrated part of Rosen's game of where he's able to place it on a dime deep and being able to burn teams off of the play action. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting offense um, just because you're going to have uh, some very polished, accurate quarterbacks with a lot of guys who are able to make a, a living in the inter- intermediate zone. Seals Jones is that guy who, when you look at him and how he kind of compares to, he is really just another one of these big wide receivers who's playing tight end. Uh, we haven't talked as much about Jermaine Gresham. It'll be really interesting to see him coming off of injury since the Cardinals, they gave him that big contract. The thing that's most curious about Gresham is and might be an area where you look at Fitzgerald in 2013 and 2014. We thought, okay, they're kind of overpaying Larry Fitzgerald. He's just not used as much in the Bruce Arians offense. Once he kind of bought in and the offense was more designed around Fitzgerald's strengths and once he recognized what it was for him to be that blocker and a receiver, he just took off and exploded and all of a sudden started having this kind of comeback season. I'm wondering if we see something similar from Gresham and the other tight ends, Gabe Holmes is another name who has kind of flashed throughout a lot of the OTAs and even the first day of minicamp with um, Rosen kind of putting the ball in a spot where it's right over the linebacker's head, just in front of the next guy. Holmes has made some great catches. So the tight end might indeed be the position where for the first time, the Cardinals actually start seeing that used a lot more just by being able to take advantage of some of these athletes to, um, you know, be able to make some big plays off of it. As for Christian Kirk, it's interesting. They did finally have, I think it was um, some of the body cam footage has finally dropped as far as where his camp and his team has been defending him for uh, with the car and uh, with attacking the property, but how it looked like it would have been abandoned for a long time. There's some people are throwing rocks and just the fact that it seemed very much like that it was his friends and the people who were there started trying to defend him. It'll be interesting because we talked about this with Tyron Matthew about how him leaving the Louisiana area and leaving his past friends was probably the best thing that could have happened for him. For Kirk, it seems very much more like he's in a better situation in terms of, you know, not having any type of history of like, you know, the the severe drug use, but it'll just be something to be able to monitor. If there's a second incident that pops up, then I think you start to worry. I don't honestly expect that from Christian Kirk here uh, anytime moving forward. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about some of the post-draft fallout. You know, we got to briefly cover some of the different guys like Christian Kirk. Um, we, it's potentially a dream draft for the Cardinals if Kirk ends up being kind of that Golden Tate type guy. I think, think if he does move to the outside some more, you could end up seeing maybe a Stephon Diggs, a guy who's a number one wide receiver or a team who's able to get that separation 
um, be more than just kind of a, a slot guy. Uh, this is really optimistic for the Cardinals would be if you can have Kirk outside, Fitzgerald inside, have your tight end, and a David Johnson maybe even be able to line up outside or inside. Another guy who's been really making a big name for himself is um, Ch- uh, Chase Edmonds the running back who's already kind of in the number two role, just how Rosen's elevated himself to kind of be the number two quarterback. Uh, Chase Edmonds already the number two quarter, uh, number two wide receiver. This is a very athletic guy, but smaller than David Johnson, but the same skill set. And he's now getting number one reps throughout the team up until David Johnson comes back to camp. Uh, What are some of your thoughts being able to reflect now that we've seen with Chase Edmonds? Um, Do the Cardinals still need to bring in a veteran running back or are they going to kind of bring in Edmonds? This is a guy who fans should be kind of more buying into as being able to get legit playing time for the Arizona Cardinals this year. I think he is probably the lead candidate for the number two back. It's unfortunate because TJ Logan looks so good last year uh, before his season ending injury. And I thought he was going to be electric behind David Johnson. And right now, you know, he's got a little bit of an uphill climb to surpass Chase Edmonds, but you know, he's drawing legitimate comparisons to quality, quality running backs. I think his closest comp is, is a Deion Lewis. I think he's got that kind of ability. I think that, you know, he is what the, the term that you hear most often is you can find quality running backs at any round. I think he is a talent that could have gone, you know, day two that slid to the fourth due to the positional value, the devalue of the running back position. Five, nine. He's a yes, That's right. Uh, incredibly productive uh, as a college player. Five, nine, two Oh five had one of the best combine workouts at that position that I've ever seen. I mean, his lateral quickness in the combine, go pull that up. If you haven't seen it, it is unbelievable. His hips and his movement is something to behold. And I think that he's got an opportunity to be just a complete game changer, a game breaker. Uh, you know, we, we love David Johnson, all, all that he brings to the table, but he's not somebody that generally we, we think of as somebody that could take 70, 80 yard touchdown to the house, right? He's going to grind you down. He's going to wear you down. Uh, he may break a long run here or there, but I think Chase Edmonds have the opportunity to, to, to take a ball to the house based on his ability to, to cut uh, one cut and go um, and has legitimate four, 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 five speed. Uh, and it's a just, it's another weapon for this offense to utilize. That's, that's being undervalued. I'm anxious to see how he does in um, the preseason. He's got a little bit of Andre Ellington, Ellington in him. Uh, whereas he's quality, quality pass catcher, but I think he's a better inside runner than Andre was. Uh, and he's somebody that I think going into this year has an opportunity to carve out a spot uh, offensively a role. Whereas a lot of these other rookies day two, specifically uh, day two, day three may not have a chance at least right away. You know, Christian Kirk's got a long uphill battle because of all the vets that we've talked about. And that's kind of a, a difficult position to transition into receiver. Uh, and then, you know, day three, just on the surface, I don't see any of those players making an immediate impact. I think Rosen and Edmonds are the two that, that could see the most playing time right away. And, you know, who knows, Blake, if, if this holdout goes into training camp for whatever reason and he gets first-team reps, you know, I could see an opportunity where he maybe starts a preseason game. Hopefully it does not come to that point. But, again, you knew the Cardinals after David went down last year and they headed to trade a, a six-round pick for Adrian Peterson. You knew that the Cardinals were in a position where – they could not be lax at the running back position again. Steve Kime probably didn't want to pay money for, you know, a backup. Like, you know, I, I read at some point that they were not necessarily close, but in talks with free agent running back LeGarrette Blount uh, and ended up signing with the Detroit Lions. That would have been a nice fit. 
but rolled the dice, got Edmonds in the fourth round, and I think he'll be productive for them. The only position, not position, but personnel set that I'm a little bit concerned about is that of goal line and, and, and looking for that power back behind David Johnson. And we'll see what transpires um, you know, throughout the rest of, of mini camp and camp this, this fall. But that's, that's a position that could be difficult. The Cardinals struggled in the red zone each of the last two seasons under Bruce Arians. That was part because outside of David Johnson, they didn't, they didn't really have anybody that could hit the hole and get tough yards. Uh, Chase is only 5'9", 205, but hopefully he plays bigger than his size would suggest because at, right now they do not have a power back. I, I'm not sure if Elijah Penny is still on the roster or not. Um, we'll have to look uh, yeah, that up. He's, he's a fullback now. <laughs> yes, yeah, so he's he's all changed positions, so that probably tells you what they think of the power back. Um, but I'd be a little bit concerned because if David needs a breather or goes down, you're essentially letting the defense know that you're in a passing set. So, But I like the opportunity that he has in front of him, and I think he could be uh, very productive in year one. Yeah, I know the, the going in the behind the scenes from the Cardinals flight plan, and that's uh, one of the best uh, one of the best things as a fan to be able to see is a little bit more inside the draft room where, and all or nothing, you got to see the Cardinals when they took David Johnson, just how um, excited they were about you know the previous player and Amir Abdullah, and then all of a sudden when they took David and saw the player that he was going to be, at least it was just fascinating to see behind the scenes. They were high enough in Chase Edmonds. We find out that they were considering taking him in the third round, where most teams were probably looking maybe closer to. Uh, the fifth or the sixth round for him partially just because of the level of competition they were high enough on him that they were looking at potentially taking him as their third round pick and something that's kind of incredible about Edmonds is he did have a leg injury this year it was kind of later deemed to be you know not a you know serious leg injury it took him out of most of the games this year but what's crazy about Chase Edmonds is from the time that he stepped on the field at Fordham he was probably the best player in the FBS in terms of the fact that he averaged over 2,000 yards from scrimmage every year from 2014, 2015, and 2016, over 2,000 yards with rushing and receiving, which is kind of incredible that he was the best player on the field. And what's also interesting about him is the fact that he's only 22 years old. This is a guy who's still very young. That means that he dominated his level of competition from the time he was 18 years old. Like I, I can't even picture, imagine being an 18 year old coming onto a college show, even though it's a level you could say of Fordham, that's still an, really impressive. Um, the Cardinals had a very lofty comparison that they made to him um, as far as for who the player that they think that he can be. Um, a lot of, people have speculated that that player would be Brian Westbrook, another guy who is about 5'10", 5'11", about 205 pounds, had a dominant career, very shifty. So this is where I think when you're looking at the Cardinals, when they have the running game this year, Steve Wilkes wants to make the run game a focal point. Arians wanted to make the running game kind of set up the passing game. We've seen from a lot of the RPOs and the, the teams that they've more kind of moved to having an effective running game where you can have big plays, but not necessarily making it about the, you know, pounding the football. I think the Cardinals could be a team similar to maybe the Niners or the, even the Seahawks with Lynch in years of past where you do end up seeing them put emphasis on having the fullback run up the gut. Um, I think that if, uh, as long as Derek Coleman ends up doing a solid job as a fullback, I don't know if they need to have the power back necessarily with Bruce Arians. He had to have a power back because you'd get guys on, you know, the one or the two yard line and no fullback to be able to kind of clear the way you had to be able to get through is there. The fact that they have a fullback now with Mike McCoy, that also opens up some passing game opportunities for a fullback to catch a few passes out of the backfield. I think that will take care of a lot of the kind of uh, 
the red zone woes that the Cardinals have had in years past. In addition to the fact that they'll be involving a tight end. Bruce Arians did not throw to tight ends very often. You know, occasionally you'd see Troy Nicholas catch a pass in the end zone. Occasionally you'd see Ricky Seals Jones get targeted there. I think that the just the fact that they'll be moving in with all of these different types of, you know, offensive weapons in a much closer, you know, tighter, quick passing offense. I think that you'll be able to see if the Cardinals can get use of these big plays uh, from the running back, maybe even from like a JJ Nelson, once they get into the red zone, I think you might have a lot more consistency. All right. uh, Let's talk a little bit now about the defensive side of the ball, because the biggest news that happened for the Cardinals getting a number two cornerback. We looked at it potentially in the draft where they're going to be taking a look at a guy like Isaiah Oliver or, um, you know, uh, Josh Jackson. They've made a, a trade for a veteran corner with a lot of upside in Jamar Taylor. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that because this is a guy who the Cardinals had a couple of free agents who were signed, but this is probably your number two corner entering camp. Uh, what are your thoughts at least on the Cardinals trading, not a 2019, but a 2020 sixth round pick for Brown's corner, Jamar Taylor. It's a potentially savvy move by Steve Kime to uh, reaffirm the secondary status is one of the, I think the strongest on the team. And a lot of people will probably scoff at that notion, but you got Patrick Peterson, who's an all pro. I think Buda Baker's on that same route. I like a lot of the complimentary players that they have. I think Brandon Williams has an opportunity to be a, a nice player under Steve Wilkes. And then you bring in Jamal Taylor. First, you bring in Brashad Breeland for a workout. Uh, he is clearly either asking for too much money or is not healthy. Uh, multiple other teams have reached out to him and has not signed the contract yet. So I, I don't think the door is closed there. But then right after Breland's visit, you trade for Jamal Taylor, only 27 years old, um, went to the University of Boise State, uh, 5'10", about 200 pounds. Two years ago, 2016, had a had a really a breakthrough season. Three interceptions was their best corner, uh, along with Joe Hayden. Started opposite Joe Hayden, um, Justin Gilbert. He made him all but expendable. Uh, was a was a former second round pick, I believe, of the Miami Miami Dolphins in 2013. Uh, so was very highly regarded coming out. I remember him coming out out of Boise State. But again, I thought he was probably too small for what we ran at the time uh, at being 5'10". Last year really is just kind of an enigma for any Browns player. I don't think that with what went on a year ago in Cleveland, you can hold any individual player accountable. So I kind of give him a mulligan on that. Again, he still had 62 tackles, was a consistent starter for that team. But again, if he can duplicate his 2016 season when Joe Hayden was opposite him, and, and make plays on the ball. I think the Cardinals have gotten a quality player at the number two cornerback position. And Steve Kime really is at his best dumpster diving for these number two corners. Everybody wants to talk about using premium draft picks to find, you know, Patrick Peterson's running mate at the number two cornerback position. And that's fine. You, you know, you, you need a lot of great corners in this league that can play guys who are long and fast and physical and have makeup speed and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, if you're getting consistent pressure up front, you know, a lot of those guys are made to look better than they actually are. And Steve Kime has done a very nice job really during his tenure of finding quarterbacks that can, that can play at a, at a capable level. I, I look back at Gerard Powers when, when Arians was first brought on board, he was a very nice player for the Cardinals. Antoine Kaysen had a very nice 
uh, season for the Cardinals in 2013. Uh, of course, 2014, the Cardinals signed Antonio Camardi on a one-year deal. He made the Pro Bowl. Um, you know, over the course of the last couple of years, they brought in veterans that have uh, initially sat the bench for the first one or two weeks, have come in and, and played well. Um, you, you know, the unfortunate part is Brandon Williams has yet to show he's a really an NFL player, and um, Justin Bethel is nothing more than a special teamer. So I like the, the fact that they're going after veterans. I was a little bit nervous, Blake, that their first-round pick this year was going to be a cornerback, uh, assuming that one, all the four of the, the main quarterbacks, five of the main quarterbacks were going to be gone. Because I kind of compare that a little bit to receiver. I, I think you can find great corners anywhere in the draft. And, again, when you already have the guy, and that being Patrick Peterson, how many resources, how many high-premium draft picks can you spend at, at corner? To me, it's it's a position that's interchangeable. And there's there are, think about how many players play that position at the college level. You think about in the NFL, teams use you know four or five corners at, the, at minimum. In the college level, they use three or four. Every team's interchanging about three or four corners right now, especially if you're talking about the spread offenses that you see in the Pac-12. Um, all those guys have to find a place to play. All those guys are going to enter either the draft or, or become undrafted guys. And you're going to find, you know, potentially a lot of undrafted guys or diamonds in the rough on day three of the draft. Uh, and so Jamal Taylor, to me, the, the risk is minimal again, six round pick in 2020. So you're not even sacrificing a pick in next year's pivotal 2019 draft. Uh, it's a position. I still think that they could add another player uh, and we'll, we'll see where some of these guys go. And I know we'll touch on safety here in a minute, minute, but the secondary to me, I think, will be is really in, in great hands under Steve Wilkes. I'm not concerned about it in the least. I know some people are, but uh, Taylor's ability really to play press man uh, and what he showcased in 2016 gives me reason to think he'll be just as consistent as some of the other free agent corners Kime has brought in. Yeah, when you're looking at the Browns and Greg Williams having a, 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 an inbox safety that they had drafted at least as a rookie playing like some 20 yards back in nearly every play, including running plays. It's like, it's hard to be able to fault Taylor's, um, you know, having a down year. I do think that his best year did come from the slot. There's been some, you know, possibility that if, Rashad Breland does decide at least to finally kind of take and settle for a one-year vet minimum deal. The Cardinals could maybe still bring him back and kind of take a chance on him as far as for with injuries. Maybe that would end up being kind of the secondary where it's not as much a patchwork secondary, but you're more looking at being able to add guys to the position, recognizing that as long as we have Patrick Peterson and he's in a role now with uh, – where he's not going to be playing the same type of coverage or having to switch back to zone like he was so often in the early part of 2017 under James Betcher, be able to make more plays on the ball now potentially. Uh, that's where you don't really have to invest a whole lot of the position. I know the Cardinals wanted to bring in a guy. The idea of them bringing drafting a guy high is in case you can't bring in a veteran. They were looking at potentially trading for Jamar Taylor uh, before the draft as well i think the fact that they waited and then when the browns landed two cornerbacks uh, that ended up playing into steve kimes favor even got taylor to be able to restructure his contract where they've got him now not just for this year but for next year so what's great and what i loved about this move was cost you almost next to nothing it's you know you kick the can down the road in the sixth round pick that's not going to matter in 20 uh, 2020 anyway Oh, you might even get a compensatory pick that replaces that. Um, but you've got the guy now under contract for two years. So either you can extend him if he does end up playing well, or you at least have him under two years where if he does play well, has an awesome season, he'll be back for next year. You won't have to worry about the position next to Patrick Peterson 
for two years, which is fantastic. Uh, let's talk a bit about Noah's safety. You mentioned Trey Boston is the kind of guy we've highlighted as coming off of the best year of his career, 25 years old, still out there. Some other guys like Eric Reed, who you know he's wanting to make a case as far as for just with, as far as for kneeling with the national anthem, but the Cardinals still seem to have interest in him. And Kenny Vaccaro, who's a former first round pick, who had some injuries but still is a solid player. Boston might be the guy. I, for me, I know I would have probably looked at the amount of cap space the Cardinals had and considered signing him already. But when you look at factoring in David Johnson, potentially a Dan Buchanan deal, I, I can see why the Cardinals haven't signed him. Is this the guy that you think the Cardinals should be looking at for bringing in and kind of completing that secondary? I do. I think he is the the prime individual to bring in uh, for a number of reasons. He's got experience with Steve Wilkes. He played in uh, Carolina, had a, had a pretty nice season for the San Diego Chargers a year ago, has great size, is 6'1", about 190, only 25 years old. Uh, could this be your new DJ Swearinger? Um, I think he has an opportunity to come in and, and get quality playing time. Uh, Antoine Bethea had a nice season by all accounts for the Cardinals a year ago, but is conceivably in his last year of his contract. It just, it's, it's crazy to me that this safety market has not ramped up yet. And it's mid June. Trey Boston is a guy who had five interceptions last year, uh, which I believe led all safeties or was close to leading all safeties. Uh, he is um, a, a, a complete and utter stud uh, at free safety when healthy. And I think he's got an opportunity to come in and push for playing time right away alongside Buda Baker. Um Health has been a problem. Uh, he only played one game in 2015 for Carolina, played 10, or excuse me, played um, played 10 in 2016, only started 10, uh, but then last year got a chance as a full-time starter uh, in 2017, again, racking up five interceptions and, and eight passes defended at the free safety position. His length uh, is something to behold. Uh, went to college, I believe, at North Carolina. Um, so close to Steve Kimes' all modern in NC State. But just we, we kind of round out a group I think that, again, is, is a little bit underrated. But you talk about rolling out Bethay and Buda Baker and Trey Boston with Patrick Peterson. That's pretty good. That's probably as good as you're going to see in the NFC West. I'm not overly impressed with the safeties that, um, that the Rams have. Earl Thomas may or may not be a Dallas Cowboy. He he'll probably be at least one or one year and done in uh, Seattle or done, you know, via a trade here in the coming weeks. And then San Francisco uh, outside of Tart really doesn't have much at the safety position. I think you've got an opportunity here to snag a guy um, that could be uh, a very nice, you know, midsummer signing like an Eric Winston, like a John Abraham, but hopefully you can parlay that into a multi-year deal. The, the better off you are in finding these guys now in compared to March uh, or April before they count against your, the reason a lot of teams wait is they don't want to count it against your compensatory picks in future years. Uh, if you sign players at the beginning of free agency up until I believe it's like uh, the end of May or June 1st or something like that. It doesn't count against your comp picks next year. So Cardinals could give Trey Boston, I'm not saying they would, but a nice three-year lofty contract, and it's not going to count against potentially getting a comp pick next year. Not that they're, they're due a decent amount, but I, I, that's how Steve Kime thinks. He's a, he's a comp pick junkie, so to speak, and, and had a slew of them this past year. But I think he's somebody, Trey, uh, that – has an opportunity to come in and start right away. Uh, again, Eric Reed's available. He's a quality player. Um, Kenny Vaccaro was a phenomenal player early on as a first rounder for the saints, but kind of fell off a little bit. 
Um, so we'll see, we'll see where the dominoes fall with these safeties, but it leads you to believe Blake a little bit like the position may be being devalued and teams are going to more, um, you know, hybrid secondaries that consist of only one safety and maybe three corners in, in their starting backfield. But again, I, he's somebody I think that c- should continue to be on the radar. And in Steve Kimes interview uh, with Doug and Wolfley, I believe it was yesterday they said, do you anticipate signing another safety at some point? And he said, yes, I do. Uh, it's just a matter of when. Uh, and again, it, like anything with Steve, it comes down to money. He's the king of take it or leave a contract. So I'm assuming if the medicals checked out, Trey Boston has a contract with from Steve Kime waiting. And he's probably just um, you know weighing all of his options at this point. But somebody who had five interceptions last year and looks like a player on the rise, I'd be surprised if he wasn't locked up here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, especially since the Cardinals seem to have the most interest and the most contact and the most comfort with him. Uh, it, it might just end up depending on when he's going to end up taking that in camp. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Also kind of reminds me a little bit of it might be similar to the Jermaine Gresham situation where you look at the Cardinals were willing to pay Tony Jefferson, just not what the market was. They didn't have the money to pay him as the market was looking at looking for. And with Antoine Bethea at 34 years old, this is potentially a spot where maybe you bring in uh, Trey Boston for a year, uh, assuming that another team, you know, doesn't like, take a look at her snatch him up. He's clearly not going back to the Chargers. That seems to have been made clear with them drafting Derwin James. Uh, he could end up being a guy who's only 25 years old. If he comes in, plays solid for a year, maybe ended up becoming your Jermaine Gresham of the guy who is the kind time sign who ends up sticking around for a while. Uh, if that ends up being the case where maybe he gets like a three-year deal after spending a year with the Cardinals, plays well, Bethea maybe ends up, he's on the last year, I believe, of his deal. You may end up looking at kind of a long-term secondary of having Buda Baker being that free safety and Trey Boston being kind of the deeper safety um, who's able to kind of maybe be a little more free when Buddha switches to man. Having Patrick Peterson for a few more years and Jamar Taylor, you may end up having kind of the crux of that Cardinals secondary for the next couple of years at least, um, especially considering Boston's age and the lack of wear and tear that there's been on his body. Uh, let's go ahead. So the only biggest thing I think that we want to kind of cover is just a little bit around the NFL. We'll wrap up with that, taking a look at what the rest of the NFC West has kind of had from their fallout from the draft, their OTA stories, and also taking a look at the other quarterbacks not named Josh Rosen. How are they turning out? Is this a spot where the Cardinal fans are going to have regret or is it going to be kind of comfortably smirking looking at that the Cardinals may have gotten a true steal in Josh Rosen compared to some of how the other quarterbacks are performing? That's on this last portion next of the Bird Gang Blitz. All right, welcome back in for the final segment of the Bird Gang Blitz. John, let's go ahead and take a quick look at the NFC West just with how the Rams are seeming to be kind of the most considering the class of the division. They've got a 
pretty stacked offense, made a trade for Brandon Cooks. Um, they had no picks basically this year in the NFL draft. A lot of vets, but it's not really seeming to be sustainable. So uh, talk a little bit about just some of the teams in the, uh, in the NFC West, starting kind of with the Rams. Is this a team that's going to be you know, in for a fall after last year? Did they kind of overperform? Or is this going to be kind of a 13-3? and three? Maybe it's their kind of 2015 season for the Rams if they make a big push for the Super Bowl. But is that going to be sustainable this year? I, I don't think it's sustainable after this year, um, but they're doing what I hope the Cardinals plan on doing in a year or so. Uh, they've got um, Jared Goff on a rookie contract. He had a nice year uh, last year um, under their new head coach, and I think he's somebody that should continue to grow uh, in that offense. But you're talking about utilizing draft picks for one-year players like a Brandon Cooks, I do anticipate they get him signed. You don't spend a first-round pick on somebody like that to trade for somebody like that and then not secure him via contract extension. But at the same time, Aaron Donald is going to get paid. He's going to be the highest, if not defensive player in the league, uh, or if not the highest player in the league, the highest defender in the league. Um, and then you look at Indominus Sue is, is likely there on a one-year deal, one-year prove-it deal as much as he can be, you know, told to prove it in a contract year. Um, you know, Marcus Peters is probably the best pound for pound, the best corner in the, in the league based on a coverage standpoint. He's he's get paid. <laughs> yeah. He's going to get paid a lot of money. He is not uh, a sure tackler by any means, but as a cover man, he is fantastic. He's going to get big time money. Todd Gurley is probably going to be the highest paid running back in the NFL, probably this time next year, if not sooner. Uh, and then Jared Goff's going to get a contract extension in, in about two years. So this team's window is now. They know it's now. Uh, I, I'd be a little bit concerned about complacency. I'd be a little bit concerned about the fact that their left tackle's a year, another year older, at, um, I believe 35, 36. I think their offensive line overachieved last year, and it caught a lot of people off guard. That whole offense in general caught a lot of people off guard. Uh, the defense is going to be phenomenal. The defense on paper is um, one of the best in football. It's the best front seven in football. I think it's obviously the best front four. Wade Phillips is just uh, a mastermind defensively. So I think they're going to uh, have a lot of opportunities to, to shut people out. I think the offense uh, year two with this head coach, with this coaching staff, usually you see uh, a, a small step back. I mean, the, the year Gurley had last year was just – unbelievable uh not as good statistically as david's year or the year before but um i could see them potentially going uh anywhere between nine and seven like you said 13 and three but i'd be shocked if they didn't win the division they just have so much talent on paper i, I touched on the, the niners a little bit ago I'm, i've been a jimmy g fan um since you know he came into the league I, I live in illinois he went to eastern illinois i thought he'd be a good player um but again that that team right now is being overhyped based on him winning five meaningless games at the end of last season, beating the Rams in, in week 17 that they sat all their players. Uh, I think they beat the Jaguars and the Titans, both of which the Cardinals beat last year with Blaine Gabbert. I mean, how much can you read into that? The Cardinals are picked to, to finish last via Vegas in the NFC, uh, and they won eight games last year, went five and three with Blaine Gabbert and Drew Stanton. So a little bit of inconsistencies. I, I think anybody would say that the Cardinals would have a better roster than the Niners. Uh, but is Jimmy G that much better than, than what they have in Sam Bradford and um, Jared or, and Josh Rosen? Uh, we're going to find out. But uh, their secondary, their pass rushers uh, are pretty underwhelming. I mean, the Niners really don't have anybody at the pass rushing position 
to speak of. All their rushers are from the interior, like a DeForest Buckner. Uh, and then offensively, they've got a bunch of probably C-plus to B-minus receivers. Uh, I think they overpaid for Jarek McKinnon. He'll probably put up a lot of uh, points in fantasy, but I don't, you know, he's got a like a 3.3 yards per carry as a career rusher. Uh, I'm, you know, he's not somebody I would worry about at least. Yeah. And the, and the passing game is the biggest thing where he makes an impact because he was a former quarterback, I believe. Right. So the passing game, but overall it's like, you know, I, I expected them to trade for Le'Veon Bell this year to like, mm-hmm. you know, offer at least something or if, you know, the, or if the Steelers are going to do anything with him. So that'll, it'll be really interesting to see what their team looks like because you're right on, on the offensive side, they have, you know, Garcon's a good receiver. They picked up Dante Pettis, took him ahead of Christian Kirk actually moved up for him. Um, but you know, you look at this team as far as for on the defensive side and they still have not really gotten that much out of their first round defensive lineman. Their secondary is still pretty suspect. And then the games that they won last year, which was, you know, they won a game barely against the bears, 15, 14, they went up against the, uh, the Texans with, um, I don't even remember if it even was Tom Savage still starting a quarterback without Deshaun Watson beating the Titans who had been very inconsistent. And then the kind of biggest, most impressive game that they had was a victory against the Jacksonville Jaguars in which their defense looked pretty terrible giving up, you know, 33 points. And they ended up having a huge game against the Jaguars scoring 44. That's probably the most impressive one of seeing not just, you know, Garoppolo and Shanahan, very similar to Matt Ryan, a great fit. The the thing about the Niners is they'll put up points. The good question is when they do end up playing a much tougher defense, like not not the Rams uh, in Week 17 resting their guys and not playing hard for that one. When they start playing some of those real defenses and when Jimmy Garoppolo starts facing pressure, he stepped up to the challenge, but is that going to be sustainable enough to challenge for the division? I, I think I agree with you where I don't think that they're going to challenge for the division. They've got five primetime games this year. It's going to be very interesting to see at least with a, a tougher schedule um, how that's going to end up shaking out for them because this was a team until they get, at least got their quarterback play figured out. This is a winless team up until that point. So um. yeah, they were they were one of the worst teams in football, if not all of the NFL. They look like along with Cleveland in like week eleven that they could go winless. I mean, that's how bad they looked. They had a game against Dallas where Dallas went there and Zeke had like almost two hundred yards rushing, and it was one of the most lopsided victories I saw last year. I mean, it was reminiscent of when Seattle put up 50 plus points against Arizona with Ken Wisenhunt. That's, that's how bad it looked. They just inserted their will. Now the Niners were starting CJ Beathard and uh, looked completely, you know, limited offensively and defensively. Okay, Brian Hoyer at one point. (laughs) Yeah, it it was, it was pretty bad, which led them to trade for Jimmy G. I think they would have gone after Kirk Cousins had he not been available for that uh, second round pick, but you know, Solomon Thomas still has to show you something. He was pretty underwhelming last year. Really, their their best player last year. And I listened to John Middlecoff. He is uh, a reporter, analyst, uh, personality in the Bay Area, follows both the Niners and the Raiders. The, he said the best player, not best defensive player, the best player on the Niners last year when healthy and playing was Reuben Foster. He said he was leaps and bounds better than anybody they had, including DeForest Buckner, including Jimmy G. And they think that, and I, I think a lot of us would agree that he has got Hall of Fame potential at linebacker. He just comes with everything else. And we've gone through those roller coasters with, with, with Darryl Washington, Washington mm-hmm. where yeah. you just don't know off season to off season what's going to happen. He got busted for marijuana. He got busted for having uh, loaded guns in his house. The whole situation with his girlfriend and the assault charges that were dropped that she later redacted trying to, you know, 
ruin his career. That that's unprecedented. I'm happy that the truth came out and he got off, but man, that looked bad. That looked like one of the worst stories in the NFL for the longest time. I thought he was going to spend some time in jail or, or in prison following that story. Um, if he's healthy, he's either going to, one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to turn his life around, surround himself with the right people and be a perennial pro bowler because he's got that ability, assuming he stays healthy or he's going to completely flame out. Uh, I would lean toward the latter because he's just, he's got that personality where it just kind of invites problems sent home from the combine early. And I know a lot of people will be upset if Hassan Reddick does not turn into a better player, or at least a comparable player to him um, based on the fact that Reddick went, you know, probably 17 picks before 17 or 18 picks before. And a lot of fans like Ruben Foster, but when you've been burned by Daryl Washington, you can't turn around and take that guy 13th overall. So I understand that, but if he's healthy and he's got his head on straight he is going to be a problem like Patrick Willis used to be a problem for this team. Um, and I think he's got probably the biggest upside of any Niner player, certainly defensively. So if they get, they probably need another off season, if not two, to revamp um, that receiving core, to revamp their pass rush, to get a couple more defensive backs of, no, of note. But, you know, I, I, I think Kyle Shanahan's a good coach. Um, really the team that I think is in the biggest trouble is Seattle because outside of Russell Wilson, that team is in complete flux right now. Their personnel decisions via the draft, via free agency, don't make a lot of sense. I don't understand their new offensive coordinator philosophy, bringing in Schottenheimer, who is underwhelmed to say the least. He's not his father. Uh, and then, you know, the fact that Pete Carroll in his, I think, mid to late 60s is got to call it quits at some point. Um, you know, I, I think they could be a team that you could see go through a couple of lull years uh, Pete transition out and then somebody else maybe in 2020, 2021 gets a chance to, to kind of revamp Russell Wilson's career, but he's already over 30. It's, it's fair to wonder, I think it is the Seattle like 20, run 29 right now. I think yeah, oh, it'll be 30, is he, it'll be 30 by season. Yeah. Okay. Right, so he's that. already 30 years old. Once mm-hmm. the season starts, he's had a lot of wear and tear on his body. He's not somebody I think that it's going to be able to play till he's 37 or so based on the fact that he's undersized. He gets his, you know, his butt kicked every year because his offensive line is, is very subpar uh, to say the least, probably the worst offensive line in the NFL. And, you know, you talk about the fact that they've just, they've lost so many key guys defensively. They haven't developed any capable receivers for him. Um, So I I think that's a team that, you know, at least is going to challenge for the bottom of the NFC West this year. Yeah, the the biggest thing that was someone pointed out the Seahawks that I had to like kind of double check to see. But if you take a look at since Russell Wilson came in before, they were kind of like a middling five eleven seven and nineteen. And Russell Wilson came in, they went eleven to five, and they kind of reached the pinnacle where they had that Super Bowl they won in twenty thirteen with that thirteen and three season. Uh, then you take a look at what happened the year afterwards. They lost. They went down to twelve and four, lost the Super Bowl. That was kind of the time where you even heard interviews, I believe, actually, from guys like Cliff Averill and others who have talked about how they kind of lost confidence in that one. But from 12 and 4 to 10 and 6, then to 10, 5 and 1, finish this year at 9 and 7. I, I've got the Seahawks I picked to go 8 and 8 this year is kind of their team because they've just gotten progressively worse each year. Now, they did at least solidify one spot on the offensive line by trading for Dwayne Brown from the Texans, but. They saw Sheldon Richardson, the guy they traded a second-run pick for, just walk away right after the season ended to Minnesota. Uh, we've got Kirk Cousins and a loaded defense this year. They'll be ready to, to kind of roll out this team. But 
again, still struggles on the offensive line. The defensive line, you take a look at the side, they're having to kind of try it out. Guys like Arkevius Mingo, former first-round top-10 pick who's busted out of the league. Deion Jordan, who's been, you know, there. And Marcus Smith, the, the Philadelphia Eagles pick in the first round. So they're basically kind of trotting out, throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks because they've not had the cap space. They have not, they have not had the ability to be able to, you know, sign a lot of these guys and keep these defensive players part of the reason why they're having issues with Earl Thomas now is just because of the decisions that they've made and having poor drafts trading for players who did not work out, such as the first round pick for Jimmy Graham, um, trading away Max Unger and part of him for him, who's gone on to be a pro bowl center anchored that line for Drew Brees for years. You're just looking at the Seahawks. Wondering where's kind of the biggest positive outside of Russell Wilson throwing to Doug Baldwin there. Uh, Brandon Marshall is having kind of an extra year in their career, but it's just kind of a concern that you would have is that I, I would almost take a look at the Cardinals pound for pound. And I don't know if you can, you know, say the Cardinals this year will be able to surpass the Seahawks, but I feel like that they may end up coming close. Like you may end up seeing two eight and eight teams or two seven and nine teams this year. And the Seahawks just seem to be kind of going on the downtrend. They, the first round, first round pick was mystifying this year in terms of where they took a running back who most had kind of picked for the third round and took him in the first versus taking a solid offensive lineman. Will Hernandez has been performing very, very well for the giants right now. Um, even Isaiah Wynn was taken by the Patriots. They, they basically you know, admitted as much as that their entire strategy is built around trying to go with what they think they should be doing as far as for just saying, all right, we need to boost our run game from last year. So we're adding a running back versus looking at the, where the actual problem is. So I just don't see them being able to have a sustainable uh, amount. I don't know if John Schneider is going to be as long for that job unless Russell can kind of keep him around. They just recently apparently added Ryan Grigson, the Colts GM who notably took a, uh, his fourth wide receiver on the team, kind of like like taking JJ Nelson took him in the first round a few years ago, because that was their highest ranked player on the board. So I think the, Cardinals fans are probably kind of chowing at the bit right now to see an aging Russell Wilson, seeing uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is already, I believe he's 26 years old, at least for right now. The Yeah, he's 26 years old. He's already on his second deal. Uh, Jared Goff is probably about, you know, two or three years away from getting his big deal. Josh Rosen's only 21 years old. If the Cardinals can just go and build around while they have this amount of cap space and looking at the rest of the division, this could be the best way for them to turn around their team without really taking a kind of a plummet to the bottom of the cellar. Uh, let's go ahead and kind of tie up and finish tonight. Just taking a look around the NFL at the other quarterbacks who were taken. Obviously, Baker Mayfield, the number one overall pick. Sam Darnold with the Jets. Apparently, Teddy Bridgewater up until today has been outplaying the rest of that, of that team. Lamar Jackson is surprisingly, you know, he's taking quarterback snaps, but he's being kind of used as a gadget player in their offense next to Flacco versus instead of or being kind of prepped for that role. And Josh Allen has been up and down where he occasionally will hit Kelvin Benjamin for a perfect pass. And then the next play, he'll throw into double coverage. It'll get, you know, dropped and picked up for, uh, picked off by a guy. I think that he's the guy who might end up turning into the Jay Cutler of this draft. And he's a guy that the Cardinals liked a lot, the upside whenever things go really well for him. Um, they seem to go well. But then the very next play, he'll just make a mind-boggling decision. John, what are you thinking so far as far as for just seeing the rest of the lay of the rookie quarterback to the NFL versus what the outstanding praise that Josh Rosen has received so far as we kind of tie it up for tonight on the Bird Game Blitz? Yeah, I'll just go through them one at a time based on what I'm hearing and reading on Twitter. Sam Darnold really over the last uh, 10 to 14 days has looked really good in Jets camp. Uh, I thought he was the number one quarterback coming out based on, you know, his size, his 
attributes, his, his physicality, uh, his ability to, to throw the deep ball. Uh, I think he's got an opportunity to start week one. They're talking that up right now as a realistic op, uh, possibility. And Josh McCown is 38 years old. Uh, it would be a scenario, if not at the start of the season, when, when would that happen? Uh, it's only a matter of time, in my opinion. And I think he's going to be a really nice player. And, you know, I'm sure you feel the same way, Blake. I'm happy for Todd Bowles that he's got an opportunity to, to have some longevity mm-hmm. and they let him uh, continue to coach there in uh, New York because he is a quality head coach. Uh, and then you move on to uh, Baker Mayfield. It looks like I think he could sit his entire rookie season based on what I'm reading about Tyrod Taylor, how, how comfortable he looks in this offense, the, the fact that they just need to win games this year. They need to see improvement in this roster. Uh, he's somebody who plays it very safe, so it's not like he's going to go out and throw a bunch of interceptions or turnovers. I'm in the minority, and I think, I think Baker Mayfield can sit, could sit for a lot of this, this time during the season. He's not somebody I think that's going to blow you away from a physical standpoint. Uh, so in practice, it's not like, you know, he's six, four in shorts making, making all the throws. I mean, he's very co- comparable to Tyrod in that regard. Actually, Tyrod, I think is, is one or two inches taller. And so he's got to start to get used to playing under center and that kind of thing. And, and that's not, that transition is still taking place. So I'm anxious to see, um, you know, if and when he, he starts the first quarter of the season. I, I think it could be a while for Baker, which is probably for the best. Do you really want to insert, you know, the first overall pick, um, you know, onto a team that, that didn't win any games last year? Um, so I think it, it could be potentially until midseason. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, Josh Allen's a complete roller coaster, a complete wild card. Uh, I think he's going to end up starting kind of by default. I think we both felt that way after the draft based on the fact that they've got AJ McCarron and that's about it in their, in their training camp right now of note. Um, and I think he's going to give you that boomer bust potential where he could have a game where he's seven of 25 and look terrible. And then the next week go out and complete, you know, two or three passes of over, you know, 60 yards and have multiple touchdowns. And I think he's, he's kind of in that Jay Cutler, maybe Joe Flacco mold, uh, whereas he's going to be able to run around and, and do some things and, Hopefully they build their offense around hiding his limitations and giving him him room to grow. But you think about they traded away Cordy Glenn. They lost Richie Incognito uh, to semi-retirement free agency. Uh, their wide receiving core is is putrid. They, Kelvin Benjamin, I, I believe, is is running around Buffalo now. Uh, Zay Jones, who I liked a year ago, is coming off uh, an inconsistent, inconsistent, disappointing rookie season. Um, and then skipping Josh and, and heading to Lamar Jackson, uh, I think he's got an opportunity to start very quickly. I think they're already incorporating him. I know they're already incorporating him in some first team reps, and they're going to give him opportunities to, 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 to showcase his abilities. Um, and so we all knew it was only a matter of time for Joe Flacco. He has not performed well since winning that Super Bowl. So I think this team thinks that they could win games with Josh, with uh, Lamar Jackson. You and I, Blake, both thought that the Cardinals could have done the same thing. So, um, you know, and quickly I'll touch Mason Rudolph, uh, by all accounts, looks pretty good in Steeler camp. Uh, He throws uh, a very nice deep ball out route. uh, And I think he's got an opportunity to succeed Big Ben at some point. So all the quarterbacks are about where I thought they would be. Uh, The only kind of surprises, I did not think Sam Darnold 
would be able would have the opportunity to start this soon. I think McCown. I thought McCown was going to start week one. He still he still may. Um, but the fact that they're already talking it up, Todd's already talking it up that he could be the week one starter. I think that all but alludes to the fact that he's going to be the the guy for them pretty early. Yeah, for sure. And with Allen, it's kind of something is, I think it may be a little bit more than the, uh, the last kind of player who will be the cautionary tale. At least I don't think he's going to be a total bust, but it might not be as high an end of starter for when you're talking about the cost to, to, to get a player like him. Darnold, at least up until uh, today, he actually like apparently was at one of his best days of camp. It's going to be interesting to see how that quarterback battle will shake out. Whereas um, I think I totally agree with you on when you're looking at it all said and done that the Cardinals, at least with guys, with guys we looked at like Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, they got a guy who was more pro ready, a guy we didn't think was going to be there. Um, and it kind of also serves up as a cautionary tale in terms of the fact that Christian Hackenberg was, was basically traded by the Jets second round pick um, ended up being probably one of the worst, you know, overall busts in terms of NFL history. And the fact that he's never even played in any games. He's, I don't even believe he's done more than starting like one or two preseason games, and the Raiders just cut him the other day. And it just shows you part of how volatile the National Football League is. It shows just how difficult it is to succeed. And it just kind of shows you at least for when you do have one of those swings and when you miss on a guy, that it really can mean like the end of a lot of things. It might not mean Todd Bowles' job in this scenario, um, but it, it's certainly going to end up meaning a whole lot as far as, far as the, the you know, wasting that second-round pick for the Jets and having to be able to turn it around. So I think that when we all said and done, just kind of summing up what we had from the draft was Steve Kime needed to make a move. He needed to get a quarterback. He went and swung. And so far, everything that we've heard, at least, you know, has been positive. We'll see what happens when the games start going. But when you end up taking a look at taking a risky move like Josh Allen or even when you talk about Lamar Jackson, it's not as big of a risk perhaps as a, a guy like Hackenberg in the second was, but all in all, Steve Kahn kind of did at least manage to do the move he needed to do to help keep, keep this team where Cardinals fans are excited. Like I, I training camp is going to be starting this year on July 28th, I believe is the first open practice. And I would expect it to not be, you know, a sellout crowd, but it's going to be a very, very full stadium. It'll be rocking. People want to get their first look at the new quarterback. And that's kind of, that's kind of a lot of this life and positivity that you get to see from fans where they don't feel like their team is going to be having a, you know, a two or a four win season. They feel like if they have a competitive team, they'll be able to support as they kind of go through this process. All right, that'll just about wrap it up for us here on the Bird Gang Blitz. Um, John, can you let everyone know where they can find you and talk to you on Twitter while we're in the middle of the <laughs> Cardinals offseason? Yeah, during this lull time, let's talk some football. I am at Johnny's Football, J-O-H-N-N-Y-S Football on Twitter. Uh, Blake, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find uh, I'm still writing. A, not, I've taken a little bit of a break from Revenge of the Birds, but I'm going to be back up there with um, whenever there's news breaking for the team. I do have my past articles, I had quarterback breakdowns that went through. You can see all the things I said about Rosen, Jackson, some of those other quarterbacks there. And find me at Blake Murphy 7. Uh, thank you guys again for listening. We always appreciate it. Um, we'll make sure that we'll be able to uh, keep up and have a couple more shows, at least I know, through the off season um, As news breaks, we'll be there. Uh, thank you guys again. Make sure you like and subscribe on iTunes, also available on Blog Talk Radio. For the Bird Gang Blitz, you guys have a good one. We'll see you next time. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. 
Please insert stake into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hello. You are listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.